Wait, one. What's up, everybody? This is Scott Lease, host, co-host of the Surf and Sales podcast, joined today by my good friend and uh, elder statesman, Richard Harris. <laughs> Had to throw that one in there. Coming to you live right before the end of the new year. We're trying to uh, sneak a couple more episodes in. We are rapidly approaching episode 200. I think this might be episode 198. Richard, is that right? 199. 199. We're brought to you this month and for the rest of December by our good friends and partners at gong.io, vidyard.com, and lead411. Great companies, great people, great products. Check them out. Get off to a great start in 2021. We have a really special guest today. He comes to us from Columbus, Ohio, and we were just talking offline about how wonderful the great state of Ohio is. His name is Ed Porter. He is currently the chief revenue officer at Blue Chip and I believe runs his own consulting company, Oak Moon Consulting as well. How's it going, Ed? Good, good. Happy to, happy to join. And yes, at December 30th in Columbus, Ohio is not a great time to be here. We're in, in, gray forecast as uh as richard knows and uh so we're eagerly looking forward to april so and i have a april. question first, first april. Question. so here's what i know about cleve ohio because i lived there for a year one no joke m- memorial day in may it gets really sunny and warm and literally labor day it gets cold it turns gray like that's, that's my memory of the, my one year tenure in Cleveland. And then, and Ed, you can confirm this. This is a rumor that I heard when I lived there, which was that back in the day, like in the world wars, they used to create a bunch of armories to store weapons in Ohio because Ohio statistically had the lowest cloud cover in the United States. And so in case we were ever going to get invaded from Canada, Right, because we know how aggressive they could be. Yeah, it was the it was the safest place to try to store weapons, particularly because you know planes had to fly low at that stage. Right, but is that true? Do you know if that's true, or am I just making shit up? So I'll answer the first one, which is you were in Cleveland, so you experienced the lake effect, and it gets generally grayer and colder up there sooner. So Columbus, I'd like to say our our warm season is about the end of April till about. October-ish. And it starts to get a little hit or miss. One day it could be 40, the next day it's 70. And that's what October and November look like. So a little bit wider of a, of a season in Columbus than in Cleveland. So that's number one. Number two, I have never heard that before. So not to say that Richard, it's not true. There, it, it very well could be, but I am going to Google and I'm going to see, is this a myth or is this just from Richard's head? So we're going we're gonna to find some understanding here. But if that is true, that is certainly interesting because I can see it being plausible. And when, again, the fear of Canada invading, maybe not so plausible. But uh, I mean, other, other than that, when you look at access points, so, you know, ammo and artillery, fine. But if you look at access points of where Ohio is to basically everywhere else, when you get access to New York, you get access to Chicago, um, Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, in those areas, you know, you got access pretty quickly to those areas. So I, I could, I could see it making sense if you're looking at access to other areas as for distribution or for escape routes or whatever the case may be. So there could be a little bit of truth in there. All right, cool. Now we know. 
Yeah. Now, there you go. Great, great starting point. <laughs> yeah. Now, I'm, if we just continue talking about guns, great. I can talk about that's one of the three vices that I've taken up during this pandemic. <laughs> and you, I did you a disservice when, when I was introducing you. I, I would like for you to kind of tell everybody what you're up to right now and give people the context so, so they know where you're coming from. You have, I, it looks like a half dozen different roles. I only named two of them. So you got your hands on a lot of different cookie jars right now. So kind of tell the people who you are and, and, and what you're up to. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, right now I, I started, I had my own consulting company for about a year and a half and I, I was fortunate to be part of an organization leading it as a CRO and we sold it uh, in uh, mid summer of last year. And since then I've kind of just figured out what I want to do when I grow up. So one of those things has been really starting to help startups and clients um, understand the revenue side of an organization. And as the past year and a half has gone on, it's really been kind of going down several different paths. And one of the things that I'm working on trying to at least communicate and um, and understand and get more involved in is, is what revenue alignment means. Well, A, what a revenue organization is, what alignment means, how it works, why it's a problem if, it, if you're not aligned. And that's kind of the mission I'm trying to, to help solve with my company today, which is Blue Chip CRO. And so that's kind of my, my main gig right now. Other than that, you mentioned Oak Moon. So Oak Moon is a consulting company that um, a guy that I met a year or two ago before the pandemic, he, um, his name's Brian LaLiberty. He started this company. He's a lawyer by trade, but he worked with a lot of startups on getting ready for funding. And that's kind of been the area that he's been around. So he and I started talking and he's like, this is a pretty good match if I can kind of help and you can kind of deliver the goods on some of the clients that we're working on, then it's a great match. So I'm doing some consulting work for him, which is Oak Moon. Um, outside of that, I sit on an advisory board for a startup called Bandelier. They are, um, he'll kill me if I say this, but they're an outsourced sales company, but he's doing a lot of different things. He's, he's really building um, beyond just a managed service operation. He's really trying to focus on talent and using it as talent as a service for startups and companies that are growing. So um, he's about three years old. We met a few years back when he was starting to build this company. So we talk every couple of weeks, once a month or so about different things. And I'm really excited for what they're developing and, and how they're going to move their company, um, increase their, their revenue and, and their company size into 2021. Beyond that, there's a, another startup that I'm working on, which is kind of more of a side gig, but it's focused on mastermind, peer-to-peer -peer mastermind groups. And one of the things that that me and the co-founder, Josh Witt, have really realized is that it started off in Columbus where people he, he runs a podcast and he would talk to people and they would have the same problems. They felt like they had to reinvent the wheel. They didn't have a great network to go to, to kind of find solutions. They weren't as in tune to the communities that are out there. And he just like, we gotta, we gotta find something there. So we've started this, it's called Carrot, C-A-R-E-T. We're just starting to get our first cohort up and running next month or uh, next year. And we're trying to hope to kind of build this, these multidiscipline groups that span kind of sales leaders, CEOs, founders, CROs, CIOs, um, 
you name the C-suite, trying to find these cohorts of leveraging development and learning for in a peer-to-peer model. So um, again, again, much like a lot of other masterminds out there, and, and hopefully we can do some unique things. Yeah. Those are kind of the current things <laughs> that I'm doing right now. Yeah, you're you're keeping yourself yourself busy. I mean, most of your your experience, um, you know, professionally has been in sales management, sales leadership, inside sales orgs, call center operations, that kind of thing. What is it? What does a sales leader have to learn how to do really well now today that you didn't have to do 10, 15, 20 years ago? Could be an obvious question, but talk a little bit to those people who've been around for a while who are like, you know, trying to figure out how to be a good sales leader today and, and some of the tactics and techniques that they used to use or maybe are not working and how do they evolve? Yeah, I think this helps to kind of start into why I'm helping develop Carrot as a company. So for myself as, a, as a, both a leader as well as just in general as an employee when I started off in my 20s, I, I'm a naturally inquisitive person. So I, I wanted to figure out ways to be better and do things. And I didn't wait for somebody else. I didn't wait for a manager to give me training. I just tried to figure it out. And I think as a leader, that's one of the areas that intrinsically you've, you've kind of have to be that way. You're helping other people. Your real goal as a leader is to enable your team to be better. And it's not you taking the reins. And, and them watching, it's the other way around. Now that's a part of it to, to kind of role play and, and shadow, but ultimately it's, I think leaders today and ones as, as I'm getting more involved in these communities too, is people are wanting to learn more and they want to have, they have this hunger for learning and development and they want to talk about issues. They want to talk ideas. They want to debate and argue. And that's, that's a, a great characteristic for a sales leader to want to be better is start to figure out how you can manage a team better. How can you build a better culture? How can you build better comp plans? How can you build strategies that align with your prospects or your employees? And that's the thing as a leader is trying to change that lens to be focused on. I want to to dive into one of those topics real quick, Ed, which is the culture piece, like 2020, you know, really changed the world in terms of sales culture right? Because everybody's remote. Um, And it's going to stay that way for a little bit into 2021. And and for some companies even beyond, I think, I think there's financial advantages if the company can work. You know, if you were scaling a team now or trying to hire people in sales roles, how would you try to instill a strong culture when you know everybody's remote? Yeah. So this, this is the, the million dollar question of how do you how do you build this process? And I look at tools like Slack and Teams, and there's some others that are out there, which is a good starting point, but it's not the end all be all of, of doing that. The, you know, I, I just responded to a, um, or I'm about to respond, I should say, to a question on a Slack group in, in RevGenius. Actually, it might be in Thursday Night Sales. It might be in yours, Scott. Um, someone asked about one-on-ones, and I look at one-on-ones to say, one-on-ones aren't autonomous from anything else. One-on-ones align to everything that you're doing. So if you talk about managing a remote team, a one-on-one is a component of that. It can be formal, it can be informal. When you look at having a conversation in Slack, at some point you need to take that to another channel. And if it's something that requires a team to have brainstorming session or to 
poke holes in something, whether it's individual development or even group development. So when I look at this remote workforce now, there's a lot of tools available to leaders and individuals to help continue to build that culture, but it really does stem around communication and how you communicate. I'm a big fan of uh, the Rockefeller habits, and it's, it's, I think it's a great foundation to how you align communication, and it's how do you get people involved, how do you understand what meetings are appropriate for what topics, and how do you avoid having an hour-long meeting for something that should have been 15 minutes. So when you start talking communication, then you start talking channel. So when everybody went remote, now we don't have the ability to go walk up to somebody's cube and say hi or say, hey, I got this customer that has this question, what do you suggest? We have these other channels to do that where it can start in a channel like Slack or Teams and then it needs to morph into a Zoom call or a phone call. And I'll, I'll continue to say the phone is not dead in many areas, not just, I mean, this is a big debate in prospecting, but. I think a lot of times when working with employees, we need to we need to pick up the phone and have a conversation instead of just having it be through email chains or through Slack messages back and forth. That certainly is a foundation to help drive that culture and build it to be more inclusive of a one-on-one versus a team meeting and helping people feel part of something. I I can't I can't be a fan of Slack and Teams more, but there's this other side to that coin, which is over usage and it's not the end all be all. Yep. I want to, I want to shift to a different topic because you've got some great experience too in the channel side, right? Yes. And, you know, in late 2019 and 2020, I started to recognize and realize that the companies with the hyper growth are, are focusing on channel, particularly in the SaaS and startup world. If someone's thinking about going into channel and I've done channel, what are three things that you recommend them understand about channel sales, even before they start to just throw it up against the wall and see if it sticks? Yeah. So the first one, I had to learn this kind of the same way as when I got this first position, I got some books and I said, "What, what is distribution channel and how do I get partners and how do I make them stick? And the, the one close similarity that I think made me successful in the channel is because I had just finished an eight year stint at a company, which was really my first company where I had over a thousand people reporting to me. So I had lots of levels of management experience. And when I started, then I went right into building a channel. And I think that experience really helped because how I managed a team was very similar to how I managed a channel partner. And the way that goes is I have to call Richard, who may be the decision maker at this reseller company. And not only do I need to get him to say, okay, we're going we're gonna to start repping your product or putting it into our portfolio, but then I need to go to Richard's team and I need to help educate and train them. And it's not just a one and done. It's not just, all right, I give you training and then I go away. Just like a new employee, it's a process. It's an onboarding phase. It's a regular ongoing uh, communication and development. And as a, if I'm a channel manager managing Richard's company, I've got a lot of degrees of engagement that I have to go basically sell wide and deep. I have to take that mentality and I have to treat you just like a team. Talk so that's about that. One. Talk about, talk about, and again, you know, I've done channel, so I'm, I'm glad to sort of dive into this. And, you know, obviously a piece of the plan is making sure you understand how to approach them, how to onboard them and the continuous training. 
you said you have multiple channels to engage them. What are those channels that people need to think about? In terms of how to access the buyer or just in general of getting resellers? Your answer, you decide. So I guess I'll start with when we say channel, I'll start with defining channel as getting an avenue to get people to sell your product. And this can be- they're not employees, like, and, and I think, I think yeah. right, they're not employees. It's like, hey, you know, if I'm, you know, um, if I'm Vidyard and Vidyard wants me to go out and pitch them um, or lead 411, you know, you know, there are a couple of things you need to think about is like, okay, well, how do we teach Richard enough about Vidyard so that he can at least mention it? Do we want Richard to actually sell it for us or just formulate the lead? right? And turn it over to us. So that's, yeah. you know, you're, you're trying to build your own octopus when you go into channel sales, which is great, yes. right? Because it expands your reach. So anyway, so with that, a little bit clearer definition for folks, now go ahead and, and answer. So that yeah. So, so I think that's the, the part is understanding what you want from a particular channel. So we have a channel, which is a group of people. And those can be several different angles. One can be a channel that's for affiliates. An affiliate could simply be, oh yeah, I'm repping this product. I'm going to refer people. And if somebody buys, maybe I get a finder's fee or maybe I get a couple hundred dollars or whatever the case may be. An affiliate program is very kind of loose, but still requires a little bit of nurturing is, hey, don't forget about me. I'm still here. Then you start getting into these more formalized types of programs where now I'm a business that's selling this product, somebody else's product, and I'm getting a margin on it. So it could be in the scenario. So if I'm Vidyard and I'm reselling Lead 411, then maybe my price is, is less. So I'm selling it to Richard's company where I'm saying selling my product plus Lead 411, and now I'm getting a margin on it. So I'm, now there's a revenue component. That's another channel. And those can go up in, in discount levels. So when you're a technology manu- or any manufacturer for that matter, you can say, hey, if you're part of this program, you get 20% off. If you get to this level, you get 50% off and there's incentives along the way. So when you talk those, channel- those levels be- are usually tied to how big of accounts you sell or revenue, right? Like it's number of accounts or revenue as to how much of a discount you get, which then increases your margin. Yes, it can be that. It can also be the amount of services you're providing. So the first thing is going back to kind of your first question is, you know, how do you go about what are those three things that you need to know with the channel? So one is you got to recognize that you treat a channel just like you treat your own team. They've got to be an extension of how you onboard employees, train employees. It's no different. The second thing is understanding structure and support. What do you want from this partner? Do you want them to just promote, promote, promote? And then they're more like this affiliate where you get some lead sources and I can then start throwing commissions. Is it very like that affiliate relationship or do I want them to sell my product on their paper and their invoice, which means to their customer, they own the customer, they own the sales process, they own the retention. And then I'm supporting that partner. That's usually also will warrant a higher discount because you're now losing service attainability there. So that's another level of what do I want the partner to do? How much involvement do I want in the sales process? Um, and support process, which can fluctuate that that margin for the reseller. And then the third thing is beyond having that is it's really starting to look at the 
the ecosystem as a whole. If you're selling direct and channel, you got to figure out that conflict. It's going to happen. It's bound to happen. And it's yep. terrible for everybody involved. So those are the three things. I don't think necessarily in that order, but those are three things when trying to go after a channel is managing the partner, just like a team and an employee that you would do that you've got to understand what level of responsibility you want this partner to take within your product and selling and servicing. And the third is to create these boundary lines of who gets what, if I've got a sales rep selling to Microsoft and I've got a partner selling to Microsoft, there's, there's a big problem. And, and somebody's going to need, you're right. either going to have to double pay or someone's going to be pissed off. That's, that's the last the part I want to bring up is that once you bring someone on in, as a partner, a true partner, and they can sell on margin, they can undercut the direct sales team, right? Yeah. They, right. Well, you can't and vice control, versa. Right. And, and so you have to really understand your pricing strategy as you go into channel, right? And what is the value of that reseller or partner? If they can sell into Microsoft, could they also sell into Amazon? Could they also sell into Salesforce? Could they sell into any of these other places? And you sometimes have to, to your point, leverage that relationship to what feels like the, for, for your company to the disadvantage of your own sales team, um, which is a challenge. And then there's the third, there's one more part that I think people need to understand too, if they've never done it is you actually have channel reps. You have a salesperson who manages eight or 10 or 20 resellers right? Which is different than customer success reps. So now you've got a whole other complexity in your sales team or even in your organization, your channel team's competing with your direct team because they're trying to make commissions too. So it's, th this has been going on. I mean, gosh, this has been going on forever and I've yet to yeah. see a great solution, but it's something worth mentioning. So I, what? that being said, I think everybody needs a channel team. Like if you really want to grow massively, it's super important. I'm going to stop because I know Scott's ready to jump in on here. <laughs> But what, but what is the solution? What, 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 is, what is the right rules of engagement here? So it's like Ed has talked about, you know, that, that was a great summary, you know, she was the one, two, three things. And that third thing is this conflict is going to be there and you better figure it out. And now I'm hearing Richard say, I've never seen anybody figure it out properly. <clears throat> How the fuck do you figure it out? What's, what, what, are, what is like, let's say somebody is listening right now who manages the channel team. Give them, you know, a couple practical tips that they can try to go implement. Like, what should the rules of engagement look like? How do you split the commission? How do you manage this this conflict? What can what can you uh, what can you give us there? Yeah, so I think you got to start asking this whole peel the onion back, and you got to ask these seven layers deep, and start to ask yourself why do you want to why do you want to go channel? And the most common route, like Richard, you talked about a second ago, is growth. It's it's a huge growth chain and it's going to get you exposure to buyers through their networks as opposed to building your own network. So that's the number one. So then you start scaling down and saying, okay, now within growth, how can, uh, how can the channel partners get me access to people that I'm not getting access today? That's when you start looking at, is it size of company? Is it segment? Is it industry? Are there certain things that I can start detailing this ICP and how do I start figuring out that step. If I want my internal team only working on certain ICPs, then I got to go create a laser focus for that and say, this is the deployment strategy for my internal team. And then if I go to have these strategic channel managers, then I'm saying the resellers we want to target are going to have these ICPs. 
who are their users. And a good example I'll talk about is, is in the telecom world, because that's where I got my experience in this. It was, we were selling a call recording solution back in 08, 09. So this is before cloud recording was really common. This is all on-prem stuff. These are big CapEx deals. And our resellers were these big PBX supply, Avaya resellers, Cisco resellers, Shortel, you name this, Mitel, you name the solution. And these resellers are selling a voice networks, data networks, security packages. They're selling all of these things. And, and I'm just a small component of this giant deal. So we started mapping out internally, who, who are we going to go after that these resellers aren't? And it, it, not to say that problems didn't happen, but that's where it starts is getting that careful map of the ICP and start to figure out why do I want channel partners hitting this ICP? Is it easier for them? So then I go find partners that are maybe bigger into healthcare. So if that's the case, then I'm going to try and find out who are those partners. Let me leverage their experience and I'm going to steer my internal team away from healthcare. Or I start looking at, is this healthcare hospital systems that are big networks? Or is this healthcare like small physician practices? So I, I know Scott, you've got some background in kind of this title industry with, with security when you were with Qualia. And I look at that oh, industry yeah. to look at that to say, you're dealing with insurance agents. Well, with these title agents, you're probably only dealing with a few. Like I think in, an, in Ohio, out of all the title agencies, there's only like five that are really worth a damn. Everyone else is just small fish in this giant pond. So then- Earmuffs, earmuffs, it, all of my former clients, earmuffs. <laughs> yeah, so then you start looking at, so I want to still tackle the, the small guys and I want to support them, but maybe I just need to kind of figure out that separation to say, Who's going to go after the big guys? Who are going to go after the small guys? Who's yeah, going that's to go where after I was going to jump in. I, I would say, Scott, so think about, to, to Ed's point about Qualia, is, um, you know, there was probably, I know there was a point, because we talked about it, where your team was working on certain people, but then you were going after you, the individual was trying to sort of tackle the Remax of the world, right? Or the Keller Williams and those larger organizations that work through bigger title companies and stuff like that. So, I think sort of understanding the ICP as you see it is part of it. I do want to come back to the to the conflict, right? Um, a place to try and examine how to solve the conflict is often that cross-territorial thing. When you've got two internal reps and they have the same company in their own territories, how do you how do you solve for that problem? And that's not going to be the same answer to channel, but it's like, okay, I got to get in that mindset to figure this out because you do have experience with it. And I think that's the part people sort of don't recognize they may have that experience, so. Yeah, so uh, territory is an interesting discussion point. It's one of the easiest, but it's not always and, and rarely the most effective. And the, the challenge it's also, it's there also is- It's never, never, never the same. It's never the same across every organization. Either. Well, yeah, across. very true. Because yeah. your territory isn't the same as a partner's territory and vice versa. And, you know, do you want to have a partner deal with three of your reps or one, even though they span multiple territories? So, you know, geography and territories is, a, is really a tough cookie. And it's one of those where I always ask a lot of questions. And we, it, when I was in, in my previous role, we didn't do territories. I tried to limit it to kind of named accounts and, and account areas. So when they would prospect, it was a little bit bigger of a 
of a, I mean, we didn't have a huge team at the time we had three or four reps. So it was pretty easy to like not interfere, but when you get 20 and 30 reps, it's a little harder. So going off that tangent a little bit is, you know, Richard, you asked the, the solution and the solution is, as I'll say, it always depends. And I think that has to be when you start getting down this path of ICP and you start figuring out that as kind of a foundation to start structuring process and deployment for channel teams, individual teams, that, that certainly helps. The second step there is there, now you're looking at, and this is why territory is really muddy is again, we'll use Microsoft. Where, where does Microsoft get bound to? Their headquarters? Are they, are they is that who the rep or territory that handles that account, even though they have offices everywhere and customers everywhere, does it become the end user? And if it's the end user and they have multiple locations, how do you, that's where it becomes but a lot more so, dynamic. So is, so thinking through those things, like what is the preferred partner look like? Is it, or, or maybe, maybe said differently, like what's a good partner versus a bad partner? How, how are we defining them? And, and is it based on like some type of, you know, ROI, like, and what is the right ratio? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, help me define yeah. a good versus bad partner. And if I have a good partner, like what kind of return should I expect? Yeah. So I think this has to go into, are you a component of the partner's business or are you the partner's business? So an example is I'll use the telecom world. If I'm a via. Say, 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 that, say that one more time. That was a really good quote. Say that one more yeah. time. So it depends on if you are a component of your partner's business or if you are the partner's business. And I'll use the example of Avaya. For those that don't know, Avaya is a large PBX phone company. There are plenty of resellers that are only reselling Avaya equipment and that's 90 to 95% of their business is Avaya. So if I'm Avaya, I've got to support them pretty intently. If I'm an ancillary software company like where I was before, which was called Copy that got acquired by InContact and then by Nice, I'm a component of that sale. So that partner, not to say they don't care about me, but I'm a smaller fish in their pond. So now my role of how do I determine who is a good Avaya partner for me to tackle, those are going to be the ones to understand who's selling more um, span of line items as opposed to Avaya products, who's selling more than just a phone system, who's selling more data equipment, who's selling more cybersecurity and network monitoring. The more, the deeper that reseller is looking at complementary type of items in part of their business, there's a better aptitude that I can probably get some attention and some focus. Mm. Otherwise, if, if the partner is, if I'm not the business, and I'm a small fish in that, it's, it's a lot harder. Not to say that it's not worthwhile, but it requires a different type of approach to try and gain. The second part is also the, if, if I've got a partner that is only reselling my product, now I've got to start to look at things like pipeline generation, deals coming through, consistency, how much resource is being attached to demos? Do I have to provide sales engineers or are you guys trained to do that? Do I have to provide product project managers during implementation? What kind of resources am I deploying? And what's that effectively that margin? Because it should be managed in margin and more so on resource. That's yeah, those are some things that help. 
I got one more yeah. question for you, Ed, and, and we're gonna we're gonna cut you to short because we gotta we have a hard stop, not because we we don't like listening to your knowledge because it's great. If I'm thinking of starting a channel program, right? I'm a SaaS organization, you know, um, I'm a Vidyard, I'm a, I'm a Lead Four One One, I'm a Gong. How long should I? How long will it take for me to build something to really start to see any type of return? Not even an ROI, but because mm -hmm. it, I know the answer. It's, you know, I'm yeah. curious what you think. Yeah. So in that case, so let's take Gong, for example. So, and I'm saying this. Yeah, but just answer the higher, question. Is it six yeah. months? Is it a year? It's you know, longer. And yes, it's it's a, longer it that. depends. But what do, what do we need to tell yeah. people? You're, you're easily two years. If you can get it done yep. in a year, you're doing something right. But yeah, it's um, two to three the, years. Even when you have, yeah. even if you go hire a, a very experienced channel leader who's done this before, it's at least two years and it's a lot of investment. It's not like they're picking up the phone and just cold calling, right? So it's two yeah. years to start to see a return and it's probably four or five before you really hit stride with it. So it's a big long-term strategy that, you know, you've got to decide, you know, at what stage is this going to be? And it's, it's, you can't just experiment with six months or a year, right? Yeah. And that's there's kind of marketing yeah. components, supporting them, there's service components, there's education and training support. So there's, there's a ton of stuff. So I don't want to discourage for people from going to channel, because I think it's a massively wonderful place to grow, but you just need to know what you're biting off. Yeah. And that's where I think overall, when a channel sale is not like a one and done. You don't have a sales process that culminates in a deal. You have. I did that. that okay, was, sorry. That was me putting you on mute instead of me taking my failing on the other mute. There you go, Scott. Nice. Couldn't be couldn't so, episode one ninety nine without a mute issue. So the that's the thing about the sales process is it doesn't culminate into one deal. It culminates into a contract. And once that contract is executed, then you've got to go to do the sales process. So it may take six months to execute a, a contract. And now you have to go get that person onboarded or that company onboarded and get them starting to bring you deals and start to partner with them to during the sales process, during the implementation process. And, and that's just on a singular deal level. So I, I kind of used Gong earlier is you got a company like Gong versus a company like Lead 411. And why I think they're inherently different is you have transactional versus pretty kind of enterprise type ticket items. You got small ACVs and large ACVs. And why that's important is now you're looking at things like, like deal flow and you're starting to say, how much can a partner, how much does a partner get exposure to, to sell my product? Is it every customer? Is it 10% of their customers, 15% of their customers, or is it 100%? And then you start looking at, so like you said, you know, best case scenario, you can get it done under two years to at least proof of concept and, and maybe break even, but you'd have to have like great product market fit. You got to have a great reseller network that's already used to reselling products and not this is their first go at it. You got to have like the, the deck's got to be stacked in your, in your, <laughs> in your advantage or else you're, you're easily two to three years. I was at a yeah. company for, for two years, they had a semblance of a channel partner program. And by the time I left, we had a big shift. So our revenue, when I was there, we were about 90% direct revenue and 10% through the channel. When I started, when I left, we were about 50-50 and had a decent growth rate in two years. And I'm not saying that I did anything worth a damn, but it was, it was more or less just 
there was somebody and a team focused on it, but it took two years and it wasn't just overnight. So fortunately, the company had money to invest, front load the investment on resources. And that's how we were able to grow. And we yeah. partnered with the Avaya and the Cisco resellers and tried to expand that network. And you have to invest in travel back then and, you know, get in front of people. Yeah, not anymore. Shows. Not anymore. This has been super fascinating and, and very different than most of our, our, our 198 prior episodes. I don't know if we've ever gotten so deep into, uh, into channel sales, Richard. Um, so I, oh, we, we appreciate this you. It's been really good. Yeah. Yeah. yeah thank you. you. I, I actually just you know. had a Slack message right before I joined from a guy um, that was asking about this channel model. I love having these discussions and, oh, perfect. and talking and, through it. And, so it was like, now, now what you'll be, now what you'll be able to do is instead of having to reply to this guy, you could just, just shoot, say, him listen to the, the episode. shoot him the link and say, go listen to this and get off my back for a minute. <laughs> but we got to, we, <laughs> yeah. we got to move, we got to move towards wrap, wrapping up here. And we want to thank yeah. uh, lead 411 vidyard.com and, and gong.io. Of course, our sponsors for the, uh, for the month of December, appreciate all their support. We always end every show like this, Ed. How can we be helpful to you? Yeah, you know, one thing I'll kind of put front and center, Richard and I have talked about this in the past, is, you know, a topic that I'm starting to kind of pay attention to a lot more is, is mental health. And now you've got the whole pandemic that has put a whole degree of that into play. So how, how, what have you guys heard of around, like, how are people, how are people handling things and how are they getting by are they using communities a lot more are they using you know resources headspace meditation stuff like what are some things that that i guess i could pull from you to to kind of help share with some of my clients of how do they keep these things going how do you keep people motivated and when they may be isolated or siloed or not around people well i i certainly think that the uh the rise of the micro community in, in 2020 um, as a function of, of that need and desire to interact and, and not be lonely on, on to some extent and to get more coaching and get, get that sense of, you know, a sales floor again. So whether it's, uh, you know, Thursday night sales community or Patreon communities that people like myself and, and Kevin Dorsey and, and uh, Rob Jepson and Dave Gerhardt and others have, have put together, or, or Rev Genius, which you mentioned, you know, before. Um, these communities have gotten a lot of traction. I mean, you're talking, we had 10,000 plus people come to virtual happy hours in 2020. Uh, Rev Genius has something like 9,000 people, um, you know, in their, in their Slack channel. Um, we launched Thursday Night Sales Slack channel and had 2,000 people sign up in the first 24 hours. So there, there's definitely, you know, a need for a, for a, for a, a place for, for people to go to, to hang out and interact and ask questions and get help and get support. Um, you know, outside of that, you know, I would also say that a lot of side hustles, you know, got birthed and, and, and were born. And the people, you know, whether they had more time on their hands or, or just like, you know, lost their job and, and, you know, couldn't find a job. So they had to do something on their own or, or said, fuck it, this is the perfect time for me to try to build a business on my own. Um, a lot of side hustles, you know, were birthed and uh, some of these side hustles have become main hustles. And, and I think that trend 
will continue into uh, into early 2021. Um, and you know the other the other things that are not so good. You know, a lot of people drank a lot more. <laughs> not not good for for some people, but it, it would be foolish of us not to uh, to talk about that. You know, um, a lot of, a lot of people really struggled. You know, not everybody um, kept their job. Not everybody hit their quota. Not everybody you know made a good a good living. A lot of people suffered and struggled with, um, you know, their mental health. A lot of people struggle with addiction and, uh, and issues. I had a rep. I didn't even tell you this yet, Richard, but uh, I had a rep that I'm that worked for me a few years ago, who uh, I found out yesterday uh, OD'd a couple of days ago. Um, so like, these things are still happening, you know, um, it's still real. Uh, and people need a lot of help. I do think that mental health came to the forefront a little bit more. There was a lot of webinars and, and things like that. And, you know, we did, we did a little bit and Richard has been a huge proponent of this and all of the work that, that he does. And we've had guys like Jeff Reasley on the, the show before who's huge in mental health and, uh, and Tim Clark uh, as, as well. We think we talked to him about it. So, those are some of the thoughts floating around in my mind, Ed. Richard, Richard why don't you uh, give your thoughts here? And Richard is on mute, of course. Episode 199 of Richard Talking on Mute. Scott needs to buy me that t-shirt that, t that says, Richard, you're on mute. <laughs> I need to um, get you a coffee mug, hat, t-shirt, yeah, the whole yeah. nine. A post-it on your monitor. Or or anybody your anybody who tweets they want it, I'll buy it for him. Richard, you're on mute. Um, <laughs> So, so I, I see all of those things too, and it's 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 been very dire and sad. Um, I also, to Scott's point, a a small glimmer of hope is that people are taking it more seriously. I hope they don't sort of go, okay, thank God that's over, and they forget about it in 2021. Um, I think that's a piece of it. I also think people have done more research to figure out what it is. Like, hey, I am depressed. What should I do? Um, and there's some great resources out there. I'm, I'm part of a of a board of a nonprofit called Uncrushed.org, where we talk about our our own personal challenges and how we overcame them, and the very specific tactics we use, whether it's clergy or meditation, or just talking to a friend or family member or adult coloring books or weighted blankets, like very tactical things. I think the 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 most important thing is not to speak to the person who is depressed here. Um, obviously, I, I want that person to reach out to someone if they need to, but to speak to those who are not. And you all know someone who's down. You all know someone who's struggling. And pick up the phone and just have a conversation, just saying, hey, I haven't talked to you, know, you know, even if it's a week, I'm just thinking about you. How you doing? What's going on? You know, what, you know, you just have a conversation with those people. You don't have to say, hey, I think you're depressed or, hey, are you okay? You don't need to, you can if you want to, but it, it's, I think the responsibility lies as much with those who aren't struggling with mental health to support those around them that they think maybe or not. And if they're not and they don't want to open up, well, that's okay too, right? They don't have to, you don't force it, but I think it's really important for for those who don't struggle as, as the rest of us do um, to make that effort too. And I think 2020 has brought that out, that it's been this 
ability to say, hey, wait a minute, I do know somebody and I do care about them. And, you know, we've all heard I've realigned my goals and I understand my family is more important and I understand my friends are, you know, so do something with that. Don't just have the enlightened moment. Do something with that. And I think that's the really important piece. Yeah, that's, that's well, great. Well, I think that's Richard. helpful from both of you guys. Thank you. Yeah. So we got well, we to wrap it up. Ed, it's been a pleasure. We didn't even get into how you and I met, which I won't go into great detail, but it had really more to do with the mental health side of things yeah. um, and just sharing some stories back and forth, which would be another interesting conversation. So our relationship is way deeper than just sort of sales. And we've gotten to know each other a lot over the last 18 months, I think. So um, it's, yeah. it's been a pleasure to finally have you on the show. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. And I'll, offline, I'll, I'll kind of tell you something relevant back then that I'll, uh, that, yeah. that I think will be yeah. neat, neat, but All right, yeah, everybody. I appreciate you guys having me on. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Ed. Bye. All right. See you guys.